0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Welcome back to episode number seven of The Sitch with Grant Mitchell. Man, it gets my blood pumping to come into that brand new intro. If you're listening on Spotify or YouTube, first of all, thank you so much for tuning in. But second of all, you have to go watch the video. Check out that intro. It is just chef's kiss. I absolutely love it. It gets me pumped up. Now, if there's one thing that for my video watchers that you have noticed so far It's probably my haircut. I know I got an awful lot taken off, perhaps even more than I was really ready to mentally. I I told the woman she did exactly what I asked her to do, but I told her to take a decent bit off. And when she was done, I looked in the mirror and I said, you know, this is a lot shorter than I've had it for a couple of years. But hey, you know, change is good. Change is good for everybody. I'm actually moving. When you hear this, it'll be the day after. So I'm recording this Monday night. I'm moving on Wednesday morning. So again, you know, change is something to be proud of. Change is positive cut the top off call it amber rose that's how i would sum it up if you know what i am referencing drop a comment and let me know who said it first before i did so poetically right there let's go ahead and jump right into the show though shall we and what else are we going to start with other than march madness now again this is coming out on tuesday so as you're hearing this we're going to have playoff college basketball the first four is in action the first four is a weird time of the year of the sports year for me i know that march madness has technically started but i still don't quite feel like it has i'm, I'm still very anxious the matchups aren't all that important because unless you're uva you're gonna beat the 16 seed anyway so who really cares if he gets them maybe it's the 11 seeds that are poor who knows Um, It is kind of tough to analyze matchups for those 11 11 seeds, the 6-11 matchup, because we don't know which 11 seeds is going to be in the tournament yet. But we are going to get to all of that, plus a lot more later on. We're really only talking about two things. Like I said, March Madness is going to be the first one, and then we're going to talk about some player movement in the NFL. But Let's go ahead and get this show on the roll. On the roll, on the road. Let's get this show on the road, and let's get on a roll. That's what I meant to say. There we go. March Madness is here, baby. And I'm going to start with a big picture. Who am I liking for the tournament? What are just my general observations? And I will say that I have not been as closely following college basketball or as intently as I have the NBA. Of course, I've been watching games every day. Don't get me wrong. But it's really over the last month or so, I really tuned in. So if I say something that you guys don't fully agree with, drop a comment. Let me know. Happy happy to have a conversation about it with you and explain why I feel the way that I do. Well, let's start with this. Houston is the favorite to win it all according to all major sports books, and if they do win, it would be the first time in program history. And of course, they have not made a national title game since the five slam jam days. Man, what a blast from the past. Really fun, exciting time. One of the most exciting college basketball teams. Of course, it was a couple of teams, but combine them, wrap them up into one. Say it was one of the most exciting college basketball teams ever. I mean, a nickname like Phi Slamma Jamma, that had to be a fun time down there in Houston. Is this Houston's year? I will start off by saying I don't know, obviously. March Madness is March Madness. I mean, anything can happen. It literally has madness in the name it's impossible to predict everything that's going to unfold am i concerned that marcus Sasser is experiencing some discomfort in his leg obviously but what i will say is that this team is built to win early and it's built to win late you can think about houston as a defensive team if you want to and that is their calling card that's what they hang their hat on really no defense in america is better than them and they're also unbelievably good crashing the glass, especially on the offensive end for a team that is not built around a traditional big man. They don't have an Oscar Shibwe who's going to go out and get you 15 rebounds a game, yet somehow they continue to come up with all the second chance opportunities. Marcus Sasser, who I talked about earlier, he's averaging over 17 points per game and nearly two steals per game, shooting 38% from beyond the arc. He leads these guys, Jamal Sheed, awesome facilitator, five and a half assists per game. He's also right under two steals per game. This team, man, they are so, so fun to watch. If you have not been able to catch Houston games, and I'm on the East Coast, so I understand if that may be the case mm-hmm. for you. They're in Midwest. Are that? What is their, their central? That's their time zone. So their central time zone. The games might come on a little bit later. They don't play a ton of Power 5 conference opponents. Their conference itself really isn't that strong, or at least it's not that nationally televised. So long story short, when you see these Cougars play, they are unbelievable they are so fun to watch they make defense really really fun to watch so i really don't think they're gonna have any trouble getting past their early matchups it's just a matter of do they have the takeover scores in the big moments to win a national title game and straight up i would say probably not but i think their emphasis on the defensive end and their unreal ability to craft second-chance points and opportunities, I think it really could give them a leg up. I really do think that this is going to be the year that Houston wins it all. And I know that's not necessarily the boldest proclamation because, like I said earlier, they are favored by the But When you consider they've never won before and they've been growing and growing and growing, but they're still not a power conference team. They still aren't getting all the big five-star recruits. I think you can say it's not an upset pick, but it's not maybe the standard pick that most college basketball experts are going to go for. I don't quite know. Let me know if you agree or disagree with my takeaway on that. I have concerns with Purdue, and I'm going to actually, you know what? Well, I just, the cat's out the bag. I was supposed to say that later for my top seeds to fade, but I'll talk about them since they are one of the favorites to win it all. If Zach Edey isn't scoring, what? is this team really gonna do like how far can they get in the tournament and i'll tell you right now i don't think the answer or i think the answer rather is not terribly far because Ede, th- this is what i will say as well this is just a general college basketball statement Ede is probably going to win national player of the year he- he's he's very very much a runaway favorite on the sportsbooks odds Look at the last time that someone like this was in his position. And what I mean by that is he's probably going to win player of the year. And there's a chance that he doesn't even get drafted in the NBA draft. Just five minutes before I started this show, I looked up a mock draft to see where he was projected. NBADraft.net has him going 56th overall. Think about how many teams are in the NBA. Double that. And now you know how many picks there are. 56 is very close to falling out of the draft. The most recent case that I can remember of of something similar happening was the Luke Garza draft. He won National Player of the Year at Iowa, and then he ended up going 52nd overall. Now, granted, Luke Garza has been tearing it up in the G League. He averaged 21, 22. I think it was 21 points per game and 10 rebounds per game in the G League last season. But he hasn't made a dent in the NBA. He hasn't been able to stay on a roster. He's been on a couple two-way contracts. I think Eday is very much a very similar player. I think he's a he's a talented and overwhelming presence in college basketball. But the moment he runs into NBA athletes, I think he's really going to struggle. And obviously, that's why he, scouts aren't that high on him going into the draft. Because if you're going to struggle against NBA talents in college, you're probably not going to do the best against NBA players. Now, I do want to give Eday his praise as well. His numbers are awesome. 22 and a half points, nearly 13 rebounds, and two blocks per game. His conditioning has also gotten better. That was a real concern for him last year um, when he was teamed up with Jaden Ivy and even the year before, even though he wasn't as prominent of a player. um, But if you look past Eday. They only have one other player averaging double-digit points. That's Fletcher Lawyer. He's averaging just under 11. The team is pretty poor at shooting the basketball. They're just at 32.5% from three. And with somebody who attracts as much attention inside, like Ide, you would think that would create a ton of space for that, those guys go to work. And the fact they haven't been able to capitalize on those opportunities, that's really going to come back to haunt them in March Madness, which is what I think at least. Um, they turn the ball over a lot, 11 assists per game, or excuse me, eleven turnovers per game. I was gonna gonna say they average 15 and a half assists, which is fairly good. They share the ball. There are just a lot of signs that point to me that as soon as a team is able to Nullify or at least mitigate EDA's impact, they're really gonna be able to breeze right past them. I truly believe that. I'm not taking Purdue to make it far in this tournament. UCLA, from most of the people that I talked to, they had UCLA winning it all. And then Jalen Clark goes down with his Achilles injury. Is that the biggest injury? Does that have the biggest effect from the overall scale of or scope of what could happen in college basketball? Absolutely not. But when we're talking about a national title, You're losing somebody who is maybe your best defender and one of your more important offensive players. It's going to come back to haunt you at some point. Still have UCLA making a run in this tournament. I think they would have won the Pac-12 championship had Clark been there. They only lost by two to Arizona. But do I think they can win it all? No, I don't. Kansas. I don't trust them. This is my solo show, obviously, The Stitch with Grant Mitchell, but I'm also teaming up with a friend and colleague, Tanner Kern, to bring you guys Ride the Line. If you want to check that out, it is on the WSN channel. Just search Ride the Line WSN on Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts from, and you will be able to see our episode, which actually is going to be coming out the day after this one comes out. So that's going to be Wednesday. And we record that once a week. And last week, I said that I said that Kansas just does not impress me. They don't inspire me. I don't think that they are a legitimate national championship contender. I think they're being partially inflated because they won the title last year and they were a top seed last year obviously, but they still weren't the betting favorite. This Kansas team, they're only 7 and 6 against ranked opponents, or at least they were in the regular season. You know, they got to the Big 12 tournament final and then what happened texas came in there and beat them and that's exactly what i said was going to happen on that show ride the line by wsn and is what happened i don't know if there was a chance for them to make me feel a different way it would have been in that game that's two losses in a row to texas is texas the best team in college basketball no granted they are a very very good team but I would say they're a lower grade version of Houston, or at least they're going to match up with Houston in my bracket. And I have Houston winning that game. So I think, do I think Kansas is going to go on and win this whole thing? I don't. Alabama, now they're second in the odds on most major sports books. Not all of them, but most of them. A lot of times they live and die by the three. And that can work in the NBA, let's say, because the series are best of sevens. And if you are a good three-pointing shooting te- three-point shooting team, or at least you take a high enough volume and your percentage is decent enough, you can Im- impose yourself on the game because three points are worth more than two, right? As long as you're playing average defense, you'll be all right. This Alabama team, they, they can absolutely do that. And they have been one of the best teams in college basketball all year long, but I'm just worried that if they have one cold game from outside, that's it. You're, you're out of the tournament. There's no second chances in this. Now their best player, Brandon Miller, there's a lot of off court controversy involving him, which we're mostly just going to stay away from. But I need you to keep that in mind in the back of your head that that is a cloud it's a thunder cloud that's hanging over this team they already had pressure because alabama is a football school through and through the sec is a football conference through and through but alabama was a legitimate national title favorite and they're still second in the odds this was supposed to be the year they've been improving and improving and improving and this was the year they made they were supposed to make the leap so they've got that internal pressure and then they've got the external pressure of the controversy Back to Brandon Miller, like I was talking about. He's averaging close to 20 points over eight rebounds per game, giving you a couple of assists, 45% from the field and 40% from three. Those are just unreal numbers for a 6'9 freshman. This guy is really good if you have not seen him play. And they've got other capable players on this roster. They only shoot 34% from three, which is a little bit worrisome given how much they take, but they are decent on defense. So they can make up for it that way. They can play with pace. They can take the ball inside. They've got facilitators. They are a very good team. They are upsettable, but they're not upsettable in the sense that they're going out early in the tournament. They could easily make it to the national title game. You've just you've got to live and die with them. Just very similar to how they they play the game. They live and die by the three. They live and die by are they going to make a bunch of mistakes tonight or not? You're just going to have to live and die with Alabama. Do you trust them to put a run together or do you not? Now, they just won the SEC championship game. They beat Texas A&M in the final by 19 points. That was very impressive. Before that, they beat a good Missouri team who was really giving them a run. They hung 72 on Mississippi State, and 72 isn't the most points in the world, but Mississippi State has one of the 10 best defenses in college basketball. I believe they are eighth in opponents' points per game, so it's an impressive result on its face. They're in a good run of form. You just have to wait and see what happens. Dark horses for this tournament. Let's talk about... Those middle-ish, maybe lower-high seeds, no, that's oxymoronic, the lower-high seeds that have a chance to compete in this thing on the grand scale. And maybe I'm not talking national title winners. Maybe I am. It's up to you. It's up to your interpretation. I'm saying they're at least going to get to that Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four sort of range. I'll start off with a four-seed, UConn. Now, this is a team that I think has Final Four potential. They're the best offensive rebounding team in the country, and a lot of that comes down to Adama Sanogo. If you haven't seen him play, he's only 6'9". Is that the same height as Shibwe? I think he's either 6'9 or 6'10". Now, granted, that, or obviously, rather, that's not the biggest college basketball player you've ever seen. Like, Ide is seven four, But Sonogo's work rate on the offensive boards is just outstanding. And what's crazy is he actually averaged over one more offensive rebound per game last year but he's still giving you two and a half per game this year and it's not just him it's a real team effort connecticut started the year 14 and zero, and then they sort of tailed off a little bit just because of the congestion of that conference that was easily one of the most conge- congested or one of the most competitive conferences in all of america um, but they've rounded back into form they're they're looking pretty good They're headed in a lot of times college basketball and March Madness is just decided by what team is rounding into form when March Madness comes around. And, you know, it's great if you go 30 and 0 to start the year. But if you're 0 and 4 in your last four games, I don't care who you are. I'm going to start to question. I'm going to be questioning you. Now, Connecticut did not win the Big East tournament. They bounced out in the semifinal against Marquette, but they only lost by two points. Before that, they had won six games in a row. Two of those were over a very good Providence team. And right before that, they also beat Marquette, who again was the team that just knocked them out. I've got faith in these guys. I think they can really put it together. They're very good on both sides of the basketball. There's no real glaring weakness other than maybe they commit too many fouls. But is that going to haunt you in the early rounds of March Madness? Most likely not. Another team from the Big East that I think is really poised to make a run here is Providence. And they start off with a, an 11-6 matchup against Kentucky. And so I understand that that's an upset, and you might have some trepidation, but let me break it down for you on why I think that they could go on a run here. Providence is good on defense. Kentucky isn't. Am I am I right in saying they are exactly 100th in scoring defense? If it's not exactly 100th, it's, it's right there. So not great on defense. Providence is 35th. Their scoring offense is good. It's one of the most efficient offenses they've had in modern history, if not the most efficient. Um, They're good on the boards. They're very good on the boards. Now, the only problem with that is Kentucky is sensational on the boards. They have a slightly better rebounding margin than Providence. It's 8-something to 7-something. And Providence is only one in five when it loses the rebounding battle. So that's going to be the situation to monitor as this game plays out. That's going to be the game within the game. But like I said, they are good on the boards. It's not like they're bad. They're still one of the better teams in America. It's just that it's really tough to get past Oscar Shiboy. Now, do I think they can lose the rebounding battle and still win? Yes, I do, because they are better on offense and they're better on defense. They just have to keep it close on the boards. Shiboy cannot have a 2020 game. That's how you get bounced out in the first round. If they win that first round game, then things really start to open up for them. And I'm pulling up my bracket right now. Hope you don't mind. Believe it or not, I don't have every matchup committed to memory. I'm not that that amazing. They would play Kansas State in the next round if they win that game. Again, Kansas State is a good team, but Providence has so much experience with that Big East. They've been through so many battles that if they get momentum under their belt and they get rolling a little bit, Kansas State, I think, is there for the taking. After that, they would match up against Marquette, or maybe Michigan State, maybe even USC if you're feeling the upset. They split with Marquette already. They have experience with these guys. That's really going to be a toss-up. That's going to be in the – what is this? That's going to be in the Sweet 16 if it does happen. The winner moves on to the Elite Eight. I could really realistically see either team taking that one. So it's up to you and how your bracket shapes out. Number five, Duke. They are getting hot at the right time. And I think people are going to look at Duke – and see the number five seed right next to their name and go, oh, they're losing in the first round. Duke is having a down year, and they're there they're for the taking you might be right on face value and that it does look a little weird seeing duke with a five next to it and you're right in saying that they actually have a very tough matchup with number 12 oral roberts in the first round and of course most people know oral roberts from their run to the sweet 16 a couple of years ago they are 30 and 4 this year they've won an absurd amount of games in a row max a- max A. miss is that is that how you pronounce it, Max Acemas? I always get it confused because it's spelled Abe Mass, and I think it's Acemas. I'm sorry, Max, if you're listening to this, you probably aren't. Actually, you probably are. Let's have some self-confidence here. Max, I'm just going to call you Max from now on. Max is a very, very good player, but this Duke team is long. They have length and on the perimeter. They can stifle a lot of those open looks that Oral Roberts is used to making. And Kyle Filipowski, the seven-foot center, the freshman center on the inside, they just don't have anybody to match up with him. And Philip Philipowski has been capable of dragging this team to victory completely on his own. Um, he led them in the win in the ACC tournament final over UVA. They've won nine games in a row. Their last two wins were against the number 14 and number 13 teams nationally ranked. I like the role that they're on. They get past that first round, and from there it's not plain sailing, but it's a decent run. Tennessee – I think those teams are somewhat similar, and I just trust Duke a little more. They would go to Purdue after that if you don't have any upsets or maybe Memphis or FAU. If you do have an upset, I like Duke to beat Purdue and especially against Memphis and FAU. And From there, it's going to be who comes out of that Kansas State, Michigan State, Marquette, Providence, Kentucky side of the bracket. They could easily win that as well, so I think they're a team to monitor. And my final team here. Now, these guys are considered more of a long shot, definitely. Number 10, Utah State they can convert They can convert opportunities from multiple levels. They can go from inside, they can go from mid-range, they can go from outside. They shoot 40% from three-point land. Now, they let up a lot of points, but they are so good on offense that it has not really come back to bite them. Now, they lost their conference tournament final to New Mexico State, and that was by five points. It was a tough loss. New Mexico State... San Diego State, forgive me. They lost to San Diego State by five points in the tournament final. And it was a close game, but this team, they can trouble a lot of people that they line up across from. And who's their first round opponent? Missouri. Missouri scores a ton of points and they were bringing it to Alabama and they brought it to Tennessee right before that. So they're good on offense, but they are dreadful on defense. And with how adept Utah State is at scoring the basketball. I like them to get past that first round matchup. And from there things get a little spicy because then they play Arizona. Arizona just won the Pac-12 conference. They have a national player of the year candidate on their squad. He's not going to win, but he's a he's a finalist. Or he's going to be a finalist. Arizona's a very good team. This is just one of those gut instincts. I'm going to be totally honest. If I were to break down all of the metrics for you, they would go with Arizona, but remember if you break down every metric the lower seed is almost always going to win. So you just got to pick your matchups where you can. I think Utah State with how good they are on offense. Again, if they get that three ball going in the first game, they shoot 40% from the year. If they start making over 50% in that first game, they can easily carry that momentum into a matchup two days later. And after that, you've got a week rest. You're in the sweet 16. You can really prepare for your opponent. I think Utah State is a good team to monitor as the underdogs go. Top seeds to fade. I already talked about Purdue. And another one that I don't necessarily – I don't hate them, but I definitely don't love them is Baylor. Now, their offense is very good. It's very, very good. They've got some returners from the national title winning team. Most of that core is gone, however. And they do have some continuity, their experience. I think they have a very smart coach in Scott Drew but they're bad on defense, which has definitely plagued them numerous times this season, especially in their conference. It was was the reason they lost a lot of games they shouldn't have. And they've lost four of six entering in the tournament. You remember earlier in this podcast when I said that it's not about who's the best team, it's about who's the hot team, and especially who can blend the most talent with being on the best run, being in the best run of form? That's not Baylor. Yes, they've got the talent, but they don't have top, top, top talent. And they've lost four of six, like I just said. And it's not it's a recipe for disaster going into games that simply put you have to win it's a one and done and their first round matchup is against UCSB and i'm not going to act like UCSB is the best opponent in the world but they've got some spunk they've got some spite i think they could cause them problems even if you don't like them to win that or lose that one rather they would play either Creighton or NC State in the next round. NC State is supremely athletic. If they get their three ball to drop, which is inconsistent, but if they do get it to drop, they're practically unbeatable. Now, that's not going to happen. They're not going to go on this crazy stretch and win the whole tournament. But could they get hot for a day or two? Yes. And if that happens, are they going to beat Baylor? They very well could. Or it's going to be Creighton. Creighton, I think, has serious dark horse potential, again, to make a run through this tournament. They, they have a seven-foot big man who's a double-double threat every time he steps on the court. They've got Nemhard running point. He can take it inside. He can shoot the three. They've got playmakers on the team. They've got shot makers on that team. Shireman, very good from three-point land. He's a, he's a mid-major conference tournament favorite of the past, and over now he's over at Creighton. Big East, not a big major, mid-major, not a power five conference. I've been calling it the power six this year because the Big East is just so good. Anyway, Baylor, that's a team that I would like to avoid. Some other upsets, and I have just completely closed out my notes sheet. There we go. Just got it back up. Some upsets, some teams that are on upset alert. I'm not guaranteeing these, but I'm saying you should really do some digging. You might want to go investigating. The College of Charleston, number 12 seed over number five, SDSU. Now, SDSU is a very well-balanced team. Their offense is the down part. Uh, the downside of their team but they're still good in pretty much every area but they don't have a real knockout punch the calls the college of charleston they are very hard to game plan for and they're very hard to deal with because simply put teams don't really play like them they took the second most three-point attempts per game and if they get those shots to fall what are you going to do to stop them Charleston also has five players averaging double digits in points, and their sixth man averages nine points a game. They can score the ball well. So is SDSU good on defense? Yes. Are they consistent? Yes. Are they hard-nosed? Yes. But if these shots are falling, they're going to be a really tough out, they being the College of Charleston. Number 13, Furman over number four, UVA. Now, I will say right now, I'm going to let this all out. I went to Virginia Tech, so I have implicit bias against UVA. Do I hate UVA like a lot of other Hokies? No, I don't. In fact, I have a ton of admiration for their head coach, Tony Bennett. If I was starting a program and we had to win one game or we had to, we had to, we had one year to get everything right, is there a coach in college basketball that I can say I would definitively go after before Tony Bennett? I can't. Now, maybe, maybe from an athletic director's standpoint, would I appoint somebody who plays this slower, not-so-glamorous style of basketball and risk the image of my rep, of my program if I'm at a big university? That's an entirely different conversation. But if the objective is purely just to win a basketball game or multiple basketball games, Tony Betts are your guy. He's very, very good. Now, UVA did make a run to the ACC final but they are just so unimpressive on offense. They are so lethargic. Their players are not that talented. Their defense is good. If you look at their opponent's points per game, it's one of the best in the country, but they play at such a slow pace that their defensive rating and their scoring margin is really not that good. In fact, it's, it's way worse than you would expect from a UVA team that, again, prioritizes defense and intelligence so heavily. Furman, this is their first time in the tournament in over 40 years. And they are here to make noise. They ranked top 10 in points per game. Nearly half of their shots are three-pointers. It's similar to the College of Charleston. Now, granted, Charleston has, has more of a track record of, of upholding this. But if they make their three-pointers, what is UVA going to do? They, they, don't, they don't have an offense to respond. Is Furman bad on defense? Yes, but uh, UVA just is not that good on offense. Their players don't make shots. They don't have a takeover score. Jaden Gardner's the closest thing you're going to find. Armand Franklin, if he's having one of those rare days where he's making his shots, sure, then that's a different conversation. But I think that UVA, I'm not fully predicting them to lose just because I have so much respect for Tony Bennett. But are they there for the taking? Yes. Number 10, Boise State over Northwestern. This one's simple. This isn't really a credit to Boise State. No offense to the Broncos out there. This is a condemnation of Northwestern. They play great defense, but if they're not if they're not stopping opponents, what are they doing? Like, how are they going to win a basketball game if they let up more than 60 points, let's call it. In fact, I did some research earlier. I wanted to see what was the well, this is just a crazy stat in itself. They lost a game in which they gave up 43 points. Auburn beat them 43 to 42 earlier this year. You look at some of their other losses, They had one game in which they scored 78 in a loss, and that was an aberration. Other than that, their highest points in a loss was only 70, and they just did that once against Iowa. You're looking at the 50s. You're looking at the the low 60s for their losses and some of their wins. They beat Wisconsin 54 to 42. This team just – they don't score the basketball well, plain and simple. So if Boise State has a decent offensive day, it's game over for those guys. That's going to pretty much do it for our college basketball segment. And we're gonna close it out with some NFL because we are we don't really have a set a set time goal for this show, but we're getting to that point where we're actually not that far off the average of these episodes. So we're gonna go ahead and talk about the NFL player movement. Now I would call this the free agency period, but we are going to be discussing a couple of trades. So NFL player movement, that's the name of the segment. Voila. Jalen Jalen Ramsey. So excited, I can't even talk. Jalen Ramsey traded to the Miami Dolphins. They have now traded for Jalen Ramsey, obviously, Tyree Kill, and Bradley Chubb. This is a team that's trying to win and trying to win now. They also signed Mike White as a backup quarterback, which I think was actually a sneakily intelligent move because Mike White proved with the New York Jets that he can air the ball out. Is he Aaron Rodgers? Is he Patrick Mahomes? Is he Ben Roethlisberger? Is he Josh Allen? One of these gunslingers who's going to go out and not only throw for 400 yards every game, but lead you to the playoffs and a championship game or a Super Bowl? No. No way. But can he go out there and give you 300 plus yards pretty consistently? Yeah, he can. There are going to be some turnovers, but If Tua is going to be back at some point, which you would assume he is, it's a pretty intelligent, it's a pretty intelligent pickup. I mean, look at this last past season, Tua misses two games and things just descend into chaos. If you have Mike white to step in there, you're going to win at least one of those games, maybe both. He can hold the fort for three, four games at a time with Tua's injury history as unfortunate as it is. It's a real possibility that he's going to have to step in to do that. And we saw the importance of capable backup quarterbacks in the playoffs with the San Francisco 49ers. Trey Lance goes down. Jimmy G goes down. Brock Purdy steps in a rookie third stringer, Mr. Irrelevant, and he has a phenomenal regular season and he's doing well in the postseason. He gets injured. And then you go to Josh Johnson and he's injured. And, you know, it all we know what happens from there. So is Mike White is Mike White coming in to be the fifth string? Is Miami going to have a reliable fifth string? Probably not. But was picking up Mike White a good move? Yes, it was. But we're not here to talk about Mike White. We're here to talk about Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey has been getting worse as his career has gone on. Everybody knows that's the case. But you're partnering him now with – you're putting him, rather, in a Miami Dolphins defense and secondary that has a lot of talent. Now, have they performed up to the standard that you would expect from them? Maybe not. But you stick him in the the secondary with Xavier Howard – Eric Rowe. These are guys who are impact players. And then you've got Christian Wilkins, um, Emmanuel Ogba, Jalen Phillips, like I said, up front with Bradley Chubb coming in off the side. It's a talented team. They just need to get off to a hot start, I think. I think that's going to be the key for them. And granted, they have to go up against the Buffalo Bills, who have Josh Allen, and maybe now they have to go against Aaron Rodgers. That isn't confirmed at the time I'm recording. Aaron Rodgers probably on his way to the Jets, but we don't know for sure. That's Aaron Rodgers. He's a little weird. Nothing's a surefire lock with him. But they need they need the talent on their defense, bottom line, because their offense is really talented. And this isn't going to be a New England Patriots dynasty that does more with less. This is a team that's very quickly pushing its chips to the center of the table and saying, we are assembling one of the top-to-bottom best rosters in football. And, yes, like I said, Jalen Ramsey is not the same player that he was when he was at Jacksonville or when he first showed up at the Rams. But is he still a very good cornerback who can thrive when he's partnered with very good players in the secondary? Absolutely. Russell Wilson gets an extra offensive line help. They The Broncos went out and signed Mike McGlinchey from the 49ers and Ben Powers from the Baltimore Ravens. Now, both of those players ranked in the thirties in their position. And this was McGlinchey's a tackle. So it was right tackles and left tackles powers as guard. So it was right tack or right guards and left guards. So keep that in, in your head. So you can average that out to maybe 15th on their side of the football roughly. So, two players who didn't particularly stand out as far as pro football focuses rankings go, but they have big names and they played on functional outfits and bringing them into Denver It's really going to help because we saw how much duress Russell Wilson was under. I also think that Sean Payton is going to be able to scheme his offense up in a way that really brings the best out of these guys. He was able to get a lot of really good offensive line players in New Orleans when he was there. And so I think that's going to happen again. Is Russell Wilson going to rebound into an MVP candidate like he was a couple of seasons ago? I really don't see a way a world in which that happens. But is he going to get better? He has to. Short and simple, he has to. Tremaine Edmonds, DJ Moore, and TJ Edwards, plus some picks on their way to the Chicago Bears. This was accomplished via a trade with the Carolina Panthers and some moves in free agency. Tremaine Edmonds got the absolute bag. And this Chicago team, they're starting to gear up. They're not ready to contend for anything. Uh, Maybe, maybe the NFC North title, although I think most people still have to be going with the Vikings there or even the Lions, honestly. I wouldn't be surprised if they're ahead of them in the betting odds. But the Bears, they're assembling a roster. That's what they are doing. They have a a nice, young offense. Justin Fields, Khalil Herbert, DJ Moore, that's pretty good. Then, of course, Darnell Mooney and Chase Claypool, who I'm not high on, but he's still young and had promise, so maybe you can get the best out of him. Their defense, like I said, Edmonds is going to come in there and he's going to be a real impact player. That's going to be huge for them in the second level of the defense now that Uh, Roquan Smith is with the Ravens and we saw what he did to Baltimore when he got there, completely transformed them. So that's huge for them. The bears are going to be exciting. And then Jimmy Garoppolo to the Raiders. This doesn't really move the needle for me. Is Jimmy Garoppolo better than Derek Carr? No, they're both inconsistent. They both have similar floors. Maybe Jimmy G's worst day isn't as bad as Carr's. Actually, it might be. Yeah, th- this is not a great move. This isn't even a lateral move. This is this is a lateral in the sense that when most p- football players lateral the ball, it goes backwards a little. It's like a rugby lateral. You're you're pitching it back just a little bit. That's what I see this move as. Jimmy G is he's constantly injured, and even if he stays healthy, he, he just has that wear and tear on his body. He's not going to be able to unlock someone like Devontae Adams or uh, Darren Waller I think they're gonna rely pretty heavily on Josh Jacobs like they did last year. And he's a very good player. He's brought back on the non-exclusive franchise tag. So someone can still go out and claim him. If you don't know how the non-exclusive franchise tag works, you play pay the player 32 something million dollars for one year. And if a team once to, they can come in and offer more agreed to terms with the player. If the player agrees to it, the franchise then has the opportunity to match. And if they don't match, then the team that is now picking him up sends two first round picks to the first team, which in this case is the Raiders. Probably could have explained that a little more succinctly, but that's what it is. Jimmy G and the Raiders, I'm not picking them to make the playoffs in a division that has the Chargers and Justin Herbert, in a division that has Sean Payton now coaching the Broncos and Russell Wilson, who was once a great player, and a division that has the reigning Super Bowl champions, the player who is off to the best start of a career in NFL history, a top 10 coach in NFL history, and simply the best team in the league. I just don't understand it for the Raiders. Just, just go to the draft. Get somebody cheap. Don't pay this money to Jimmy G. That's how I see it. And that is how I see episode number seven of The Sitch with Grant Mitchell wrapping up. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I really feel like this was a very free-flowing show. I really enjoyed myself. I, Like I said, I'm moving on Wednesday, so I don't quite know when my next upload is going to be. I would absolutely love to maintain the schedule of at least once per week. More than anything, I want to get it up to two, three episodes per week. But you've got to understand that things are just a little hard with my work schedule. But I'm doing the absolute best I can. I know that all of you listening are doing the best you can too. go out, have a great day, make somebody smile, make yourself smile. And I look forward to seeing you guys back for the next episode of The Sitch with Grant Mitchell.